0: Chapter 20 To the Surface Again With the help of the fairies we again flew up to the cave opening. There in the snow we found the unmistakable footprints of a human. These moved around in the cave, returning again and again to the opening that looked down upon the valley. It was clear that our unwanted guest had taken many observations of what was happening below. From where we stood, The light in the valley came only from the filtered sun, shining dimly through the edges of the lake. However, when the stranger had been here, the elf, beams, and flying fairies must have put on quite a show. I could almost imagine the scene that had greeted him as I stood in the mouth of the cave. Dots of brilliant light must have poured forth from the illuminated castle high on the hill. Brightly tinted beams spilling from the working elves would have caught his eye as they swirled around the objects below, the giant toys, the fine team of reindeer, and finally the sleigh. In that magical glow, the sleigh's golden edges must have glimmered like my grandfather's ring when he placed logs in the fire. Surely the intruder would have known what he had found. Only the valley's steep walls prevented him from entering Winterwood. Our unusual group had now grown as we headed to the land above. Gentry, the enchanted fairy I had met earlier, and her friends had decided to stay with us on our travels. They flew ahead, landing in the footprints left behind by our unwanted visitor. Each footprint lit up brightly in the snow as they did. When we approached, the fairies within would fly ahead to footprints further along the course. Walking along, I began to notice objects and landmarks that looked familiar. It appeared that our visitor was following the same path that Elway, Grandfather and I had taken into Winterwood, only in reverse. Was he headed for the cabin? I shared my observation. It was decided that Finway, Gentry and I would stay and follow the tracks, just in case the Prince turned unexpectedly in another direction. Aneth and Avell would make haste for the log home of St. Nicholas. We followed the tracks for some time. I became more and more certain that our visitor was indeed headed for Nicholas's home in the valley. As we approached the cabin, it looked just as we, we had left it only a few days ago. All seemed quiet and still. Finway and I moved closer to the building "'watching and listening for any movement or sound. "'We noticed that the tracks had now stopped. "'The fairies that had been our assistants hovered around us "'as we looked for a clue as to where the strangers may have gone. "'It does appear these human tracks have stopped here, cold dead,' "'Finway observed. "'Perhaps covered by a branch to hide the path they tread.' "'We continued on to the cabin. "'Once we arrived,' Finway lifted me so that I could peer into the window. The sight that met my eyes caused me to tumble from Finway's shoulders. "'The Finway! Our friends are captured inside!' I stammered as I rolled through the snow. "'What do you mean, captured, Nicholas?' he asked. "'By who? By what and how? Quickly explain yourself to me. We must react, and now they, they are tied in the corner of the cabin with gags across their mouths.' I do not know who has done this. I could only see one man pacing back and forth in front of them." I explained as best I could. The fairies, frightened by my sudden movement, had scattered to the winter bushes that surrounded the cabin. Spotting Finway, Gentry must have felt the courage to come out of her hiding spot. She perched upon Finway's shoulder. I could just hear the airy tones of the fairy song. Finway's face grew ashen and dark. When he spoke, it was with an urgency I had not yet heard. Quickly, we must hide ourselves for others nearby lurk, he warned. Two men are hiding in the woods. Our captured friends, their work. As we turned to go, I felt the hands of a man much stronger than myself upon my shoulder. I kicked and scratched as the strangers held me tightly. To my surprise, Finway simply went limp. He did not struggle or fight, he did not yell or scream, in fact he made no attempt to escape at all. I was greatly disappointed. I had come to admire his bravery and courage, but here he seemed a coward at best. We were taken into the cabin and tied along with Avell and Anath. I wondered silently if they had put up much of a fight when they were caught. The two men removed the gags from our friends but no one spoke. One man was clearly taller and broader than the other. A large, scraggly beard hung from his chin, his ruffled hair sticking wildly from his head. His clothing was loose and unkempt. The smaller man was an exact opposite. Not a hair could be found upon his head. He was bald as could be. His clothes were the nicest I had ever seen, and he was neat as a pin. They paced back and forth stopping occasionally to fire questions at the four of us as we sat huddled together. What's your name? Where'd you come from? With no response and our puzzled looks, the men's questions finally stopped. Sitting there, I realized that I looked no different than the elves. I still wore my yellow jacket and hat. These men had no way of knowing that I understood completely the questions that they asked. Grandfather had been teaching me English, preparing me for my trip to America. These men, however, spoke the language in a very strange way. The men began to talk among themselves openly, perhaps assuming that we could not understand what they were saying. It seems that New York was not only the home of my new family, but some of these men as well. The largest of the three men spoke first, his voice deep and blustery. Uncle Marcus, I guess you was right. I think we got us some real live elves here. I thought the little guy was nuts when he wanted to help you find Santa Claus. But he was right after all. I looked at the man he was speaking to and suddenly I recognized him. There stood our stranger, our unwanted visitor. This was the man who peered down from the cave into Winterwood just hours ago and he was none other than Uncle Marcus himself. His radio show, which I heard with Grandfather in our store, had made him a hero to the children of Finland, but to me he had become a villain. So, let's get going, the big man continued. It's time for you to lead us to Santa's village. I looked closely at Uncle Marcus. He was of medium build with the delicate features of someone much gentler than the situation would suggest. He wore a simple knit sweater, and from his mouth a pipe billowed cottony puffs of smoke. "'My friends,' Uncle Marcus replied, in a voice that shook with uncertainty, "'this has all been some kind of mistake.' "'Some kind of mistake?' A high, whiny voice responded sharply. It was the smaller of the two men from New York. Look, you said on your radio show that you knew where Santa Claus lived. We offered to help you get there. You're using our plane, our gas, our money. Where's the mistake? I only wanted to discover the location of Santa Claus' home for the benefit of children. I wanted them all to believe he was real as I do," Uncle Marcus explained. The two men laughed. Did you think that we gave you our money and let you use our plane for nothing? Said the short, bald man. We want a slice of this pie. You want to help the kiddies go ahead. We want to make some money. Yeah. The sizable man jumped in. Now tell us where he is. You said you found him for sure this morning. So Uncle Marcus had told these two of his journey, but how much had he shared, I wondered. What was worse, however, was that he had told the whole country, perhaps the whole world, that he knew where Santa Claus lived. That was when I thought you were here to help me, Uncle Marcus replied, AND TO HELP CHILDREN." "'This is about making money,' added the pint-sized kidnapper, laughing as he spoke. "'We don't care about your little kitties. We don't care about these elves. All we care about is how much people will pay to see the real Santa Claus.' "'Well, then, you will never learn from me where he lives. I have made an awful mistake. Uncle Marcus said as he turned towards us, I hope you can understand me. I am terribly sorry. Oh, I think you'll tell us where Santa Claus lives. The husky man threatened. That is, if you don't want undue harm to come to these elves here. If you won't lead us there, perhaps they will. With that, he pulled a glass jar from behind his back. Inside was the cool blue light of a fairy. I found this tiny thing buzzing around outside the window. I'm guessing it's a friend of yours," he said as he shoved the jar towards our captured team. You know, we noticed something with this little one, the impish man added. It seems the warmer it gets, the less this thing shines. I'm thinking that it's not going to like the fire very much. The small man's voice was full of menace as he set the jar close to the fireplace. I looked toward Finway. His face was proof of what the undersized man had said. This fair fairy would certainly die if something were not done soon. Finally, my worst fears were confirmed. As I watched, I could see Finway's mouth form a single word. Gentry, he whispered.